Mark, Luke, or John. But sometimes, like today, the public reading of Scripture was from Paul in a second letter to his friend and disciple, Timothy. Well, who decides what Scripture text is read each and every Sunday morning? Normally, we are gathered by what we call the Revised Common Lectionary, emphasis on common. It is a three-year cycle of weekly Scripture passages, and it is built around the seasons of the church year. Every Sunday, there is a reading from the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, a psalm, a reading from one of the New Testament epistles, letters, and a gospel reading. And as I said, it's on a three-year cycle. Year A, we go through the gospel of Matthew. Year B, we go through the gospel of Mark. And in uh, year C, we have the gospel of Luke. Well, when does John get to have his party? Well, John is sprinkled out sprinkled throughout all three of those years. So John can show up in the lectionary text at any time that John chooses. (laughs) Okay? Uh, The Revised Common Lectionary covers 14% of the Old Testament and most of the Psalms. So it's about 20% of the New... Or or, sorry, the Old Testament. And and the RC... um, The Revised Common Lectionary covers 72% of the New Testament. So why do we follow this thing called the Revised Common Lectionary? Well, uh, it, uh, it unites us with many other Christian denominations. For instance, when the story of the woman of the well or the story of the prodigal son comes to us through the lectionary, that many churches across the U.S. and many churches across the world even are engaging with this same text. And so there's a unity that can exist there. Uh, Also, it keeps John or I away from always going back to the same stories and always going back to the same themes uh, that we find easy to preach and to teach. Because who doesn't want to talk about grace all day long, (laughs) right? Or love, right? So some of the stories and some of the themes uh, bring bring us to some uncomfortable places as we intentionally wrestle with some of these difficult stories some of these difficult texts in order to foster further growth in our journey with Jesus as a community. 75, 80% of the time on a Sunday morning here at Menomore Mennonite Church, we uh, engage with the Revised Common Lectionary Gospel text, okay? And we come together around Jesus. We learn from the scriptures We learn from these narrative stories about Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection. We learn from this ancient book, which is actually a collection of 66 different books put together in the canon of Scripture. We read from this text, and we do so each and every Sunday morning. So it must be important, right? Can you imagine if we just did this like half the time or a quarter of the time? But each and every Sunday morning, we have a public reading of the sacred texts. Okay? So obviously, we carry here at Menomore Mennonite Church a high view, a high value of the scriptures. It plays a specific role in our public reading of it, and we're thankful for God's revelation of the unfolding story of his creation. We read and we listen to stories of long, long ago. And yet somehow, mysteriously, these stories are not old. 
when we read from this, uh, this narrative of the Bible in the context of our gathered worship together, these stories are enacted again in a new way. In this time and in this space. Sometimes literally. Like, for instance, Seeking Justice Together, uh, this past summer series, Seeking Justice Together, we had what we call <laughs> Reader's Theater. So literally, it was like reenacted. But even if we don't have that, when the story lands in the context of a gathered worship service, it is enacted once again. So uh, these stories, they're ancient. Yet the narrative for us, it reminds us of our identity as a people. And it reminds us of our, as, as our purpose as God's children. The Bible provides an overarching story, one in which we are invited to find ourselves in. We take the stories, we take the passages, we take them in together, in unison, in community, so that we are reminded and invited into new and fresh ways of becoming a certain kind of person and collectively a certain kind of people as a church. Our liturgy, how we organize ourselves on a Sunday morning, each Sunday morning provides us a story. And it's a small scene that is part of God's unfolding centuries-long novel of which the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit are the main characters. They're the main characters in this broken yet mysteriously beautiful story. The story is compelling. Wouldn't you agree? The overarching story of the scriptures is compelling. It's a reason why many of us are here this morning. It's a compelling story. Not one to be taken in for entertainment purposes, but a story that reveals to us that we ourselves are part of this compelling story and invites the question, what am I to do now? In his book, Desiring the Kingdom, James Smith says it this way, and I love this, a conversion of the imagination. A conversion of the imagination happens primarily and effectively when scripture is encountered liturgically, that is, communally in worship. When we encounter scripture in worship, we are invited into its performance. Hmm? We are invited into its performance, thus uh, initiated into a way of reading the world around us. Sometimes we read the world around us through the lens of Fox News. Sometimes we read the world around us through the lens of CNN or MSNBC, right? The scripture gives us a lens. And it says, a conversion of the imagination. A conversion of the imagination. Not conforming to the pattern of this world, but being transformed by the renewing of our minds, as it says in Romans chapter 12. So that's a little about just the, the Bible, the scripture, the sacred text itself. And now we'll move into uh, this, uh, this sermon, this space that we dedicate in our liturgy. 
um, it seems to me that in many Protestant circles, those following Jesus who don't have the designation of a Catholic, there are partic- there's a particular emphasis on the sermon in the context of Sunday morning uh, worship. That the sermon, it is, for some reason, the reason why we gather, why we came together. The worship service, or the church, is often judged on how good or bad the sermon was for that day, uh, especially in evangelical circles. Now, in a Catholic context, of which I grew up in, the Catholic context, the, primis, the, the, the primacy on this is on the celebration of the Eucharist, the communion together. It wasn't church. I remember growing up. It wasn't church. It didn't count as church until you received the body and the blood of Christ. And I know of families, sometimes my own family growing up, <laughs> uh, we, we practiced the principle of arrive late, leave early. That was our motto. That was our principle. <laughs> okay? uh, but we had to stay until Eucharist. We had to stay until communion. Grab it, eat it on the way back to your car, not your pew. Okay? Not even <laughs> going back to our seats because the mass, the service, wasn't over yet. Now, in the Mass, there is what they call the celebration of the Word, and part of that is they have what is called a homily, and that's the, 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 the space of the sermon. And, uh, but the, primis, the, it's the, the primary thing of a gathering there is the Eucharist. So again, in Protestant circles, however, um, I think there can be an undue emphasis on the importance placed on the sermon. And I would argue that um, being together isn't about the sermon alone. I don't want that kind of pressure, (laughs) right? It isn't on the sermon alone. The reason for gathering is the entirety of worship in the community or the fellowship of the saints. The sermon is only a part of that. So what do I share all this? I share it as a precursor to ask the question, why preaching? Why a sermon? Why can't we just read the sacred text and just let it be? I mean, what good is it anyway? What does it actually do? What purpose does it fulfill, this sermon? If it's so completely important, does anybody remember last week's sermon? Does anybody remember two weeks ago? (laughs) Does anybody remember four and a half years ago when I first... (laughs) My very first sermon, which failed miserably, right? It must have been so life-changing and so impactful, right? No? Not so much. Not so much. So why preaching? Why a sermon? Why can't we just read, read the text? Well, before moving on, I want to take a, a, just a quick moment and to name a difference between preaching and teaching, okay? Preaching and teaching. Preaching, as I understand it, is in the realm of proclamation. Proclamation of what, you may ask. Go ahead. Proclamation of what? Okay. Well done. (laughs) Proclamation of what? Well, the gospel. The proclamation of the gospel. It serves as a description, and the proclaimer, that is the, the preacher, describes the world as it is, under the lordship of Jesus. And then it serves to invite the hearer of that proclamation into 
that reality. Preaching, therefore, um, it's, uh, yeah, preaching, therefore, usually precedes teaching. Preaching, then teaching. The story is told in proclamation, and it doesn't seek to argue or to explain the gospel. It just says what the gospel is. Preaching or proclamation simply tells the story. It describes the new reality, and it asks, can you see it? Do you receive it? Would you like to enter into and live in this reality that has just been proclaimed, the gospel? It is at this point, then, that preaching, or sorry, that teaching comes. It's at this point that teaching enters the, enters the, the realm for it is only after entering into the gospel that teaching, that teaching the word begins to make sense of what we, of what we now believe. Because Paul describes it um, in his letter to Timothy, um, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for what? For teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good to say it another way, uh, we go from the indicative, the proclamation, the preaching of the gospel, the description of the way things are, to the imperative, that is the teaching, what we must now do. Now, there are all types of sermons. Uh, one that we saw on the video earlier, right? Uh, there are all types of sermons. Uh, there's expository teaching. There's there's textual, there's topical, there's narrative, expository. It's following a book of the Bible, passage by passage, to allow the text to determine the point of the message. There's textual. A preacher uses a single passage from the Bible to move towards a single idea. There's topical uh, um, sermons. The minister uses multiple passages to support a thesis about a particular topic, such as marriage or generosity or peace or whatever it may be. Peter and Paul, some, two of the authors of the New Testament, wrote and addressed topics to churches that needed those topics to be addressed. And then the narrative style. A narrative sermon is a sermon that develops an outline with loosely associated ideas, and it narrows it down to a single idea in order to present an important message. And there's more and more and more types of sermons. Then there's forms and structure. Um, as well, three-point sermons, gunshot sermons. Uh, you, could, you could say, like, just I hope some of these points land. <laughs> uh, there's uh, alliterations, like you take the word like grace. It's like God's radical, some, you know, like it's, just, it's an alliteration for each letter of that word. Or, or sequential. In this style of preaching, uh, you have to order the points. The order of the points cannot be changed because um, one had to lead to another. So in that kind of sermon, you're taking the, the people on a journey from a place, and because this is true, then, then this, then this, then this, and you arrive at a new destination. And there's many, many more of forms and structures. So what do we do here at Metamore Midnight Church? Well, it's a mixed bag. <laughs> it just sort of depends. For me, I, uh, it seems like I default to letting the text um, 
usually the gospel text of the lectionary, uh, dictate, dictates the type and structure of the sermon, and it can be varied. So if you didn't like it one week, come back the following week. Maybe that one will, you know, be, be better. So, uh, so back to why preaching? Why a sermon in the context of liturgy? Well, a couple of ideas. I think that um, we, as followers of the way, I think that we are desperate each and every week for a new world to be born. Uh, we are a collection of people who crave good news. And why do we crave good news? Well, because Monday through Saturday, there's not typically a lot of good news. It's really a mixed, a mixed bag. There's Usually it's dark or bad news. So we long for what is called the euangelion. The, we long for the good news, the good news of Jesus. Uh, and we long for a new world to be born. Another idea of preaching, proclaiming this gospel, serves us by opening up a space for a new way of being in the world, both individually and collective, by means of the Holy Spirit. In this proclamation, uh, like prayer from last week, it begins to open up a space for Christ's real presence to be among us. At our Sunday morning gathering, the role of the preacher is then to tend to, to steward, to cultivate a setting and an environment where the for the presence of Christ in our midst. As I shared last week, um, I, I, I've had the blessing of being part of many different worship contexts, many different churches. Uh, and just as music and prayers can have a wide range of variability um, in terms of form and structure, so does the sermon, so does the preacher. In some contexts, the preacher is in the pulpit. And um, the pulpit sometimes, you know, especially in um, older like cathedrals, or the pulpit is high and lifted up. So that sermon comes from a high and lifted up place to the people. Uh, in other places, no preacher is to be found. I think of the Quakers. Uh, it's, a, it's a sitting and listening to the, to, the, to the sacred text and then responding to it as a group. In some places, preachers wear vestments, vestments and robes. I, today I have a sports coat and some jeans. There's just a wide variety of, of, of different... Now, if I wore jeans 20 years ago, would I be up here? Probably not. Um, so there's just a wide variety. And yet, in other places, the preacher is on a platform, and spotlights are focused on him or her. I have a, I have a bit of a different approach. Not one better than the other. That's not what I mean to say here at all. But a strong conviction of mine is to stand here. Actually, I wish I could stand actually in the center over there, not because I want the center of attention, but I stand here closer among the people, for I am here with you as one who receives. I am here with you as one who receives. I do not prefer to stand over the community, but to stand among the community, being present with our body, because it's in this space that Jesus is found.
Now, not all sermons are of same or equal in purpose. As a result, a sermon can serve a variety of roles each and every Sunday morning. The sermon, as part of worship, function, functions as a practice. This is a practice. It, it, it is an intentional activity, again, repeated over time each and every Sunday in order to establish Christian identity, Christian community, and Christian witness. On Sundays, most of the church is gathered together in one time and space. Therefore, every sermon that's released into the family system affects the gathered community in the same moment. Some, some sermons celebrate God's work and presence among us. Some sermons serve as a medicine that fosters healing and are designed to ease pain. Some sermons are a toxin, such as chemotherapy, that fosters health by destroying unhealthy realities that may exist in the body. Some sermons may serve as encouragement through times of suffering or dark seasons. Some sermons highlight for a community, a community of faith of a possible growth path into greater Christ-likeness. Some sermons serve as a reminder to the body that God is still good. It's a reminder to the body that God is still faithful. It's a reminder to the body that God, in fact, can be trusted. Some sermons, and the list goes on and on and on. Not one purpose, not one focus, but sermons serve a wide range of possibilities. I think Ephesians chapter 4 sums up the goal of preaching and teaching, uh, uh, why we have scripture reading and a sermon, and it says this, so Christ himself gave the apostles, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to what? To equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become more mature, attaining to the whole measure, the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. My prayer, brothers and sisters, is that the sermon is the place where the story is told. It is proclaimed. And that God's goodness, God's grace, God's mercy, God's love, God's promises, God's ways, the reality of his lordship in our lives inspires and invites you each and every week to respond. Will you, will we, as a church, follow Jesus? Will you, will we, as a church, trust Jesus? Will we submit to Jesus?
confess our shortcomings to Jesus. Walk in faith and hope with Jesus. And will you, will we as a church, enter into the reign of God's kingdom together? My prayer, my hope, brothers and sisters, is that we do. I really don't know how else to end that. There's no, sometimes I have a question or two to kind of, but it's just, we have the reading of the scriptures, and we have a sermon. We have a message. My hope and my prayer is that it is something, again, that inspires and invites you and us into greater Christ-likeness, and may it be so. So we, um, well, thank you, Eric, Pastor Eric, for, uh, yeah, that, that the way you invite us into that greater Christ-likeness as we gather and as we go out into our week, I'm grateful for that. Yeah, I don't know, if, I don't know if you mind if I stand here. You know, I find as I get older, my hearing and my sight diminishes. Is that, you notice that? It's, it's just helpful. <laughs> be a little closer to you um, as we pray together. And this is another way that we gather, as another way of being together, not just to hear the sermon, respond to that, but to bring our, our prayers of thanksgiving and our